time. We're just going to get started with the Eric Anders Lang Show. Oh, here he is. Patrick's logging in. We're all set. We're in, so we got, we're joined by Patrick. I don't know your last name, Patrick. Patrick Boyd is going to pull the mic in here. We got Tad Moore. I know your last name. The squeaky door of the shack, which is also known as the clubhouse of Sweetens Cove, just closed. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Where do we start? You guys, first of all, you're almost matching. Tan pants, blue sweaters. <laughs> it's a good look. Um, uh, Patrick, you're related to Sweetens Cove in the sense that you are the, what I just found out, is the GM Emeritus. Yes. And what does Emeritus mean in that That's sense? That's a great title, isn't it? It's a good title. It's a fantastic title. So I was the first GM, I was a founding GM out here. I opened the golf course. I was out here for four years until October of last year. And then I had a couple businesses that I had started that started to take off and kind of went to pursue that those opportunities. And I'm still involved with the golf course and madly in love with this place. How can you not be? Real quick, uh, the sound that you just heard is a coffee being poured, which I'm going to grab while I want Tad to talk about... Okay. Uh, Tad, maybe you can, by way of introduction, obviously you've had an extensive career in golf and uh, traveled the world like we talked about. Uh, You know, we do when we love the game. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that got you into your current role as... uh, you know, one of the premier persimmon, uh, sorry, hickory uh, club makers. Well, I think the, yeah, my story goes back to probably in the 80s when I was doing uh, milled putters. I really was a golf nut, and my mom got me into golf and everything, and I was doing golf clubs, and so I was a friend of Truett Mills, and Truett made his putters by grinding them, and I took one look at what he was doing, and I knew there had to be a better way. And so I, <laughs> I developed the mill putter. And uh, now, for the for the lay, the difference between milling and grinding, briefly. Yeah, grinding is where you take a block of steel, and you have a grinder, which uh, I don't know how to explain it, but there's a wheel, and that wheel is spinning, and as it hits the ste- the the metal, it grinds it away. It, it shapes it. it. It cuts it away. In the case of milling, you actually take a, a, a cutting tool, which is sharp, and it is spinning, and it cuts the metal away. So a machine is doing the cutting versus you standing there cutting it with a grinder, holding it in your hands and shaking you to death. So, <laughs> so yeah, and so I developed that, and... and that led me to uh, a deal with Dunlop Maxfly in 1989, and we brought the mill putter to the world in 1990. And uh, from there, I designed all of their golf clubs pretty much worldwide for about 20 years, and everything from irons and woods and wedges and putters and you name it. And I worked with and designed clubs for Seve and Woozy and Lyle and Curtis Strange and all the guys. At one time, we had 38 guys on staff playing the clubs and 72 guys playing the putter and nobody getting paid. So it was wonderful. I, you know, it rolls off your tongue in such a nonchalant way. Patrick, can you just contextualize what maybe people listening in their car at home didn't quite hear how legendary Tad's, uh, yeah, Tad's you know, fingerprint on the game of golf is? Can, can you just add to this a little bit now that you guys work together? And we'll get into that in a second. I mean, Tad is absolutely a legend. I grew up 
being a huge fan of the putters he made and the golf clubs that he made. In fact, I still have a couple sets of TM92s, which was a model blade he made, he designed and made for Maxfly. Um, and I got to know Tad, luckily, about 10 years ago, I'd say. We, we kind of yeah. met and, and started to get to know each other and yeah. um, through Hickory. And, um, you know, this, this opportunity and what we're working on now is, you know, just really fortuitous. And, I mean, I think we can get into talking about that in a second. But just how everything came together was great. I mean, it's, it's I don't know, it's a great fortune to work with your idols, uh, craftsmen, guys that you looked up to when, you know, I've been in a golf equipment for 31 years since I was about 10 years old. And, you know, but it's just neat to have the opportunity to work with somebody like Tad on a project like this. And... So I guess let's just go into the project. You guys, you guys are each, um, you know, coming at one idea with your own backgrounds and your own sort of takes on golf, which sound actually quite similar. Um, Tad, can you explain a little bit about uh, what you guys are working on together? Well, I'm. I, I guess you'd say I'm a traditionalist when it comes to golf. And um, you're wearing plus fours or plus twos. <laughs> what are plus these? twos. Plus twos. Yeah. Very good. So yeah. So. When I started the Hickory, uh, there had not been a Hickory Golf Club made in the United States probably since 1940, and around 2003-4, I started making them again, and uh, and then shortly after that, I had to start a golf tournament, and that's how I bumped into Patrick. He came and played, and uh, so that started our kind of our relationship. But I'm a very much a traditionalist. I I, I believe that the uh, the equipment that is being made today is is strictly for the people in the marketing department and the companies. Hmm. It's not necessarily what might be great for the guys that are playing golf to have such a great experience. So uh, I was coming by Sweeten's Cove. Sorry, can I interrupt you for a second? Are you saying that essentially people should be playing hickories? Oh, I think people would love to play hickories, and hickories is a great game. And people that find it, actually help them play better with their modern golf clubs. 100% there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah, will say that um, when I first saw your bag, Tad, I saw a head cover on maybe your, uh, would it be a, well, I guess it was a driver, mm-hmm. right? The Belvedere Golf Club Hickory Open yes. from 20, uh, did it say 2016 or 2015? Anyway. Yeah. Either way, I played in that for yeah. the season, the third season of Adventures in Golf. And I will tell you that I shot exactly the same as I normally do. Yeah. I shot an 80. Yeah. Right? Two days in a row. And I left with one of the clubs because I, I fell in love with it. it yep. It's since broken because it was truly uh, from 1909. But I guess what I'm saying is um, that's not just a fantasy that what you're saying is that the idea of playing with Hickory Clubs, it's not a fantasy that you'll play better or the same. But I guess my question is you must come into this all the time, the stigma. What, what, why is there a stick? Why, why do people not want to do it? Why did I not want to do it? Well, I think people have been, you know, since the Hickory game was long gone, you know, so everybody now that would find a Hickory club and they take it out and they play with it and they break it because <laughs> typically the uh, what happens is the shaft gets loose in the hosel, so the pin then puts stress on the shaft that's in the hosel and the shaft cracks and breaks. But you know, a club that's properly taken care of, I mean, guys, yes, they shoot basically the same scores. You're playing maybe a shorter yardage, but yeah, that's what everybody should do probably anyway is play a little shorter yardage. You know, we 
10 people tend to play too far back. But uh, Well, and what, the, the interesting thing that at least relates to what Patrick and I were talking about, about the idea of distance and that being essentially, uh, you know, uh, a big part of the golf game these days, whether you're looking at Instagram or TV or whatever, it's all about distance. And they're giving you the apex number and the ball mm, speed. Right. Uh, you know, there is another game out there, you're saying. Yes, right. I mean, someone says to me, well, how far do you hit your mashie? You know, well, I know how far I hit it. I mean, I don't care what loft it is or anything else. I know how far I hit the club. So uh, in my modern clubs, uh, it's the same way. I know how far I hit each club. I, d I don't really care. I know how far it goes. You know, like one club, it may go 140 yards. I don't care what it says on the bottom. I just know how far it goes. So I'm playing my game to what my equipment does for me, you know, and uh, the number on it doesn't make any difference. So I don't want the longest five iron in the world because I don't care how far it goes. I want it to go straight. And I want to go the distance I hit it. Repeatable. Yeah. You, you were going to say something, Patrick, but I just want to interject. You, you can say that because you're a man of wisdom, right? You have a white beard. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're able to have that take. I am, I am a fool. I am a child. <laughs> I am only interested in, I'm kidding, right? And, but but I, I actually did recently change clubs, and I opted for lower yardage with more predictability and yeah. spin and launch. Yeah. Um, but... I'm curious to know, like, you know, that that is essentially comes that that's like that's like the graduate golf, right? Is I don't want the max distance. I want repeatability and feel. Right. What were you going to say? Patrick? Well, I mean, to that to that point as well, the measure of a good set of irons traditionally was always how consistent and predictable that they were, not how far that they went. But, you know, more to Tad's point with playing with hickories and in that style of golf, it's more about hitting shots versus hitting numbers. You're not trying to fly this 140 yards. You're looking at this, you know, you're looking at this spot. You want the ball to hit and go forward or something beyond the pin that's going to bring it back. It's just, it's a different type of golf. You're not, you know, you're not obsessing about flying at a certain number or hitting a certain number. You're going to take this club. You're going to hit this shot with it. You, you know, you're saying about his mash. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter. If you've got all these shots, you know, you can hit with that club. That's more important than knowing, you know, when I swing this club full, it goes 170 yards. Mm. I mean, I can hit it 140 and do this with it. I can hit it 150 and do this with it. That's more that style of golf. And I think a lot of people would really appreciate and enjoy it because it, it is very different. It is a very different game. And the clubs react differently. They play differently. They're more alive. Yeah. It's, it's more of a visual game. I mean, <clears throat> uh, when, when I putt, I try to visualize how my ball is going to roll on the green and get to the hole. I'm not necessarily thinking about four-inch break or, or putting two fingers up and looking at the hole or, or standing on my line. But I visualize it, and that's the way I play the game as well, With whether it's, I'm hitting a tee shot or hitting an iron. Uh, that's the way I've always played. I've I played since I could walk. I've been, I'm 78, so I've been playing 76 years. And... Uh, that's, you know, that's just, so cool. It's just amazing, you know. It, it, but that's how I, I, that's how I think the game. To me, it's 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 an experience every time I go out and play. So today Amen, we go out, and it's just a bunch of us. We're out there playing golf and having a great time and laughing at the what's going on around the greens and everything. It's a it's a great time, you know. It's it's uh, 
It's a social game. It is a Golf social is a game. social game. You know, what came first, the scotch or the game? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think this, the game came first, and then the scotch to kind of mellow you out afterwards. But uh, I'm curious to know, Tad. You know, we were talking a little bit about your your travels, right? When you're, I'm assuming, working with Maxfly. Yeah. What 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 was revealed to you about the game when you've traveled the world? Because I get this question a lot. To me, you know, what has been revealed to me about the game while experiencing it in so many ways and so many different cultures? What? How do you how do you contextualize all that? Oh boy, it's 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 a it's such a wonderful game, and it's so different around the world. Uh, you know, the you, when you play in Scotland and Ireland and England. You know, the fairways are firm and bouncy and the ball rolls and, you know, you might putt it from 40 yards out and and the people are, are so nice and, and, and they appreciate the game. And when you hit a really creative shot, they applaud it, you know, and it's great. They don't necessarily applaud a, a mashy or, or a sand wedge shot that lands on the green and stops, but they might applaud one that lands... 20 yards out and rolls up close to the pin, you know. It, and you go to Japan, the people there, you know, they they don't, it's so expensive to play. I've been there when you, I remember, at the, I think a place that you could hit balls downtown Tokyo, it was 25 or 50 cents a ball to hit a ball, you know, on a wow. range. You, you could know? buy balls for and that it was a lim And it was a limited range, uh, flight range. I mean, the ball, it might have said 250 yards out there, but it was only 200, right. and the ball was a limited flight ball. So, and the people over there are, are again are so courteous, and but they they since they only get to play very limited on golf courses, uh, they tend to really appreciate that time on the golf course. So they might be a little slow, but but they really appreciate it, and, and it's so different, you know. I mean. First time I played, you play nine holes and you come in and you have lunch and drinks, and then you go out and play the next nine. You know, right? I I, I couldn't why you know, but that's what they like to do. You know, it's funny actually. I've been to Japan now several times, and I just in talking to you, I had a realization. Right, you're the reason why golf is slow in Japan is because that's kind of the way the culture is. Like it's all very slow and patient and organized. Yeah, it's very organized. Yeah. Your mandatory lunch break. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, Patrick, so you, um, you know, we talked a lot about kind of your experience of working one on one, making a club for an individual. Um, this is you kind of define yourself in some ways as a fitter, right? Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about all the different games you've seen, right? I mean, you've played, I'm sure. There's so many. Like, I, you know, I've been doing this for uh, 13 years now, and I work. My my last business, I worked with clients in person, and I worked a lot with people remotely. And now I work pretty strictly remotely with people. I'm kind of working on having a physical location to really work with people. But, I mean, the thing that's really striking in doing this and working with all these clients over the years is just how individual of a game golf is. No two people play it exactly the same. No two people play it in exactly the same conditions, play the exact same shots. There's all these variables that need to be considered, um, you know, on my end for fitting somebody to account for all these variables and how everybody enjoys and plays the game. Um, the thing that's really been kind of interesting to me, um, the last, the last two years, um, I have done a lot of projects with people that are what I would refer to as like a short set where it's a set that's between four to 
six clubs, seven clubs. Interesting. Gapped out because guys are looking for something that's easy to carry that that just is a little bit of a condensed bag that they can really just play shots, you know, to my point, playing shots. So depending on the individual client, the gap they need to cover, you know, we'll work out how we need to gap this out for them. I've done some of these projects are single length. I have one client that's, I think he has five sets that we've made in different gaps that are wow. all single length. Um, and then a lot of them will gap out accordingly, depending on the gaps. A lot of these sets are sixes, sevens, and eights. So a traditional set is like threes and fours. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, a lot wider. So you've got a bigger span in between clubs and a little bit more of a ability to kind of hit some different shots with them because you have, you, you're for, you're, you're forced to. <laughs> right. So you said when we were talking earlier, a little bit about how Sugarloaf, uh, Ian and right. uh, yeah, Harrison Ian. Yep. had kind of initially, uh, supported your business right. of making the ferules, the, the ferules, uh, yeah. the ferules. Mm -hmm. the, are those, uh, they're plastic or they ceramic? Are. Yeah, they're plastic. Yeah. Plastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't know what a ferrule is, it's a, well, Patrick, give us the, give us the real definition. So ferrules have been around pretty much since the invention of plastics as a way to really decorate and finish a golf club. Um, they sit up above the hosel. Um, if you didn't have a ferrule on a hosel, the edge would be really rough and the club really wouldn't look finished. Hmm. But, uh, Ferals were very colorful and long, and they had a lot of different patterns up until about 25 years ago. Now and they're all black. They're all black. They there are maybe a couple outliers out there, but they're all, they're mostly all black. And you know they've kind of just blend into the scenery, and people don't really consider them. But I always thought it was really cool that ferals in the 40s and 50s had all these cool bright colors and these different patterns and these different rings. And about 10 years ago, I started designing them. And, you know, starting out, they were kind of simple and they've become extremely elaborate. Like in the last, the last two years, I've really kind of started doing more and more with them. And last, I opened a web store last March. Um, What's the URL in case? It's a, it's a square, geez, you're killing me, dude. It's a square store. It's just, it's a B, it's BB and FCO, Boyd, Blade and Farrell square. Just Google that. You'll, you'll find my You'll store. find them. But um, I do a lot of different designs. Uh, there's a lot of different patterns, a lot of different colors. Some are kind of simple. Some are really crazy. Uh, I do, you know, I do about 10 to 20 different designs a month. Stuff cycles in and out. Something's good. It stays. But um, I just did this really cool collaboration project with these guys that were... Uh, we based them off of the original Star Wars toys from 1977. Mm. Um, they turned out really cool. But um, it's just a different way to decorate a club. And especially now as people get more and more into customizing their golf clubs, it's really kind of a cheap and easy way to make your golf clubs yours, to you know, make them something that you identify with. Um, so I've got about 100 different designs available in the store now. Amazing. Yeah. I bring it up because you know the I, I'm I'm wondering who your customer is for the for the irons right for the for the clubs you make, and and my thought is okay well we're at Sweden's Cove, could you would you cringe if I said Sweden's Cove is kind of the hipster golf destination? Not necessarily because I think this place really appeals to anybody that loves and understands golf. I wouldn't really shoe. We were having that conversation outside earlier. I wouldn't really you know shoe this shoehorn this into anything. It's sure. really kind of its own deal. But, you know, Sugarloaf obviously is, you know, they're in that demo. I mean, you know, hipster is a weird word. I think what I'm really trying to say is that it's for someone who is interested in the unknown, which is like me. I don't, you know, there's so many hipster jokes out there. And I did live in that neighborhood <laughs> for a while. And then I left because I was like, I can't do this anymore. But I guess what I'm saying is who is your kind of um, typical client base? Like, where, where, what are the, where are, the, why are they finding you? For the, for the golf clubs? Yeah. Oh, I have clients all over the world. Yeah. I have clients 
overseas. I have clients here. I have clients I work with. Really what are they wanting though? The what, are, what are they desiring? It's different for every client. I mean, mm. that's a, that's the thing with working with clients. I'm not building. You know, I'm not trying to make clubs that have this mass appeal. I'm trying to make something specifically for what that that client they're made for needs. Right. And it's different for everybody. I mean, and that's you know really kind of the thing. And we do everything is totally handmade production, so we have the ability to to really do that to make somebody what they need. Yeah. Um, but we were you know talking earlier. I have a lot of projects now that we do or that are that are short sets. Um, but I mean, other than that, it's it's really very varied uh, what people need and who they are. I mean, it's you know any anything from you know kids that are in their twenties that you know that really appreciate craftsmanship and, and the, the story behind it and how something is made all the way to guys, you know, that have been playing the game their whole life that knew, that knew Don White, who was our, one of our grinders that knew who he was, you know, when he was at McGregor. Um, it's really, a, it's really kind of a mixed and varied bag. And it, the thing that's interesting to me is it, it seems like all this is really kind of tied together the last four or five years as, as a lot more information about golf and uh, rabbit holes, so to speak, have kind of opened up. Um, there's just so much more data and information for people to really seek, you know, search out and find and learn about things than there ever was before. Yeah. And so you have this interesting mix of these guys. You have you have guys that are younger that have you know maybe they're just starting to get into the game and they're really interested in these these different facets of it. And you have these guys that have been playing their whole lives that never had access to the, this information before. Right. That just are kind of like blending together. I mean, we had an outing out here. We have the ringer coming up at the end of this this week, and we had the first one was in October, and it was seriously, it was like a it was like a total blend mm. of these two kind of camps, like you know, and and it and it all just you know, it's all centered around the love of the game, the love of go- you know, everyone's love of golf. I mean, none of nobody gets into this game because they don't love it it's not really an indifferent thing at all you need to be focused right i mean but it's just you know everybody shares this kind of common love and to me it doesn't really matter who you are and how you're coming at it if you feel that way about the game of golf i feel that way about the game of golf and we probably have some common ground you know might it could be different but we have we have that common love beautifully said so i'm gonna uh we're gonna go to a quick break and then i have a i have a couple more questions here all right, folks, you know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um, Tour XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where Boost comes from? It and Boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made Boost like was going to bring it to some other. You know, they they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, "I'll take that Boost, even though it's only black and white." And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at Boost right now on my feet. Boost on my feet. Uh, and it has an X-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability. Literally, it's not sane. It's literally crazy. Your feet will literally be like, "I'm crazy." 
Best part, it comes in spikeless. Ooh, that's tight. The first spikeless ever in the history of the Tour 360. Crazy comfortable and perfect for the course. Get your pair at adidas.com. Thank me later. Follow Adidas Golf for all the latest and greatest. That's all true statements right there. Check it out. Go support Adidas because they're a good company, good people. I like it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Um, okay, welcome back. Um, so, Tad, well, it's interesting because both of we've I've had – both we, when we played this morning, we we each of us individually, you and I, Tad, and and you and I, Patrick, each had discussions that centered around a topic that's been on my mind recently, and you know I basically, you know, after recently joining Team TaylorMade, which is something I never thought would happen in my wildest dreams, right? Patrick, you and I talked about how you know um, golf industry, for better or worse, is focused on distance in a lot of ways, um, and Tad, you you pointed something out to me that I was blown away by, which was I pulled out my wedge, you know, this, this tailor-made high toe wedge. And you said you, you knew the person that designed it. Yes. Right. Yep. What's his name? Uh, Clay Long. Clay Long. Yeah. Did Clay do that? I yes. guess Clay did do that, didn't he? Yeah. So that blew me away. Yeah. Cause here, you know, I, I, I look at the golf industry where I see a couple things, right? I see people saying that the golf is dying. And then what I really turn around is I said, no, golf businesses aren't making the same amount of money. That's the only thing I see. I see a couple of golf courses closing, but hey, you got to, you know, if you're the post office, you got to treat it like FedEx if you want to make money or if you want to stay open or whatever it is. Yeah. I see more and more people every year coming to golf, but uh, right, Rob's coming in. Stay tuned for another pod with Rob. We'll be, we'll be into that in a few minutes. Um, but, you know, what, what I was kind of thinking about was there's this there's this um, there's this disconnect between people talk about the golf industry and golf companies, but when you said that when you said the name of a man who designed the club I was holding that w- it it really brought it back to the idea of well that's just a group of people doing something and I'd be hard pressed to find anyone in that company that doesn't love golf as much as the three of us do. Do you do you think about that ever? And 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 you have an experience deep in an endemic corporation, right? In the golf industry, how do you see all of these things flying together? It's a big question. Well, <laughs> yeah, I I think that big companies have gotten to the point where they rely so much on computer design and. Um, marketing-driven thoughts, colors, et cetera, et cetera, that um, people like myself have not come along. There's nobody coming behind me. And so when you talk about a wedge, you talk about a blade putter, you talk about certain pieces of golf equipment, you need somebody that has an eye for it, the ability to take a blank page and make something. I mean, I always actually made it and then tried it and found out if it was good or bad. I mean, I thought it would be good, but <laughs> you didn't really know. So I would take a blank forging or I'd take a piece of 
metal and I'd machine it, whatever, and I'd make it. So today we've gone away from that. So everything now is something is digitized and loaded in the computer. This that, and the guy's designing by computer. And I hear that all the time from companies in advertising and marketing. But when it comes down to making something better and something new, because I think, in fact, they were falling behind in their wedges. And he also helped on the, some of the putters, I think maybe even the one that you're putting with. Hmm. But where'd they go? They went to Clay because Clay knows how to do it. And they brought him in. He, he's not a full-time employee. He might work there six months, a year, you know, on and off. But he designed it, and he made it, and they're great stuff. And from the day that he made them, they went right in the bags of some of the best players on the tour. And so, you know, you can't do that in a computer. It can only come out of your hands and your brain. And when when you see that, oh, two questions. When, when you see that product, right, specifically the wedge we're talking about, mm -hmm. when you see that, how do you feel? And And also when you know that it comes from clay, how do you feel? Well, I feel great. I mean, I even send him messages, emails, and that. But I, it's fantastic. I mean, he's created a really good product, a product that will fit a lot of people. Not everybody, but fits a vast majority of people. And uh, it's really nice. The cosmetics are beautiful. I mean, I think I think it's they're great, you know. And I'm so happy for him, you know, because he's like me, you know. People don't call me up, you know. I wish they would, but they don't. They got some young guy there, just got out of school. <laughs> Call you all the time, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick does. Well, I guess the, re the reason why I bring it and, up is because you have a similar experience. Am I right? Oh, sure. Yeah. You you, you were, where, where were you at the day Max Fly called you? Because um, this is the pinnacle I, of your career, I'm assuming, at that point. Yes. I, um, I thought I was going to be signed by Wilson. And I didn't. And then a guy by the name of Joe Moses that was the Max Fly tour thing. Um, it was late in 1989. I don't know exactly when, but my guess is it was in September, October. Uh, Might have been around Callaway Gardens because I lived not too far from there. Uh, I got a phone call to go over and meet with the new president, Mike Orr, at Dunlop. I walked in and uh, he discussed what thoughts and things they wanted to do and everything and I told him what I thought I could do. He reached across the desk and shook my hand and said, you got a job. Go to work. And what was your first thought? Man, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, well, I was excited as hell, but I mean, it was, they had nothing, you know. They didn't have a club in play on the tour, hadn't for years and years. It was a hell of a challenge, but it was one I liked, you know. And I knew a lot of those guys because I'd been out there kind of like Karsten for years. You go walking around getting the guy to try your putter or your wedge, you know. And when you say Karsten, for the, Karsten for the, for the kids Ping. listening, yeah. Karsten invented <laughs> the Ping answer the, the putter. Answer putter. Yeah, yeah. The, the putter the Tiger uses, yeah. the putter that Scotty Cameron copied, yeah. copied would be the word he would use there. Yeah. Um, you uh, you you must look. At, how do you look back on those years of of that part of your life? Of essentially, you know, it, it, how do you see that? Right? It, was it a grind? Was it a joy? Was it difficult? Was there challenges of working with a large company like that? Oh, absolutely! It was a tremendous challenge uh, because they weren't in the club business, but they had brought over a guy by the name of Robin English from England, 
And um, Robin is now with TaylorMade, and he's in at Oconee. And uh, and so Robin was running the business. There was just a few people in the in the golf club business, and uh, and so the challenge was to 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 develop all these products. So the first things I did were the putters, then I did the wedges, and then I did the irons. And we introduced the irons at the Players' Championship in 1991. And in a matter of weeks, we had 20-some guys playing with the club. I mean, it was just phenomenal. It was such, so, uh, I was just like on a high all the time. I'd leave home on Sunday, I'd get home on Wednesday night or Thursday. And then I had a couple of days, and I was back out on tour again. And uh, every week, every week. And uh, and and at this point, you're the guy. Uh, yeah, you're it the was guy. Me. It was me. Yeah. Everyone's coming to you. Everyone's whether it's a coming player to me. There or wasn't a bunch of staff out there like today. Everybody's coming to me. <laughs> there was no Sevy, <laughs> Norman, whoever it was. They're coming to me. That's insane. More. Yeah, <laughs> more. <laughs> that's what that's what Fuzzy called me. More. More. Yeah. There's no Norm, I made a beautiful putter for Norman, and we're at the memorial. And he says, oh, it's a little bit too upright. And he takes it and hits it on a railroad tie to flatten it out. And I'm out, my pants, you know. <laughs> what are you doing, you know? I mean, oh, I mean, it was crazy. It was, it was just phenomenal, you know. But I had a great people that were involved in the manufacturing of the clubs, you know. I had Rick Cooper, who was the machinist guy in California doing the putters. I had Hoffman Forgings up in Tennessee that were doing the forgings. I had the Dunlop staff in Japan that did a lot of the tour clubs and that. And uh, I just had great people supporting me. And, you know, I mean, I did all the design work for Seve for years. And, you know, I'd spend a whole year designing a new set of clubs for him and working with him. And, and he was phenomenal. I mean, I, I tried to get him. I was a good stick. And I tried to get him to give me some tips, and he'd we'd be in Japan together, <laughs> and we'd be walking around a golf course, and he'd hit a shot. And I'd, hey, Chevy, Chevy, show me how you did that. He said, "Oh, not enough time." I said, Chevy, <laughs> we're here all week. Oh, Tad, not enough time. That's so good. Yeah. Do you? I'm curious to know. I've heard legends of Sevy's practice routines. Did you get to witness any of these sort of like pizza box stories, like the? Flopping a three iron off of a pizza box. Have you heard of this one or similar? No, but I got to see him do a lot of stuff because I walked the golf course with him a lot and around the world and everything and spent a lot of time with him. And the biggest thing I never was able to do was to make him a driver. He could hit in the fairway. <laughs> could, could anyone have made that? <laughs> no. What is but, that about? But, you know, he, he putted. It's funny. He putted with a putter that was 68 degrees lie. And a four-degree loft, and his toe was still up in the air. But that's what he liked. He liked the looks of that toe up in the air. Yeah. When when I'm curious to know, you going back to the poor driving, but still amazing and phenomenal golf player. Do you see a connection there? I mean, Tiger has that a little bit, you know. Oh, sure. And yeah. and what what is that about that sort of game where it's like you're you're constantly even even amateurs, right? Constantly sort of um, you know uh, what is it? The boy with the bucket, right? You've got a hole in it. There's the golf game has so many facets. They rarely fire at once. Yeah. Can you speak about that? Well, well, Seve, the issue with Seve was, of course, is his was his swing. But it was a swing that he had honed for years and years and years. And, and it was what it was. And so it meant that sometimes he wasn't going to hit it in the fairway no matter what. But but when you think about it, he 
he had that, like I talked about earlier, he had that creative mind, you know. Once he hit that tee shot and it wasn't going where he, you know, where it was supposed to go, he was already thinking about the next shot, how he was going to play it, you know, all that. I mean, it, it, his mind was always working, and, and he was so creative. And the greatest hands I, I think I've ever seen, you know, wedge shots and things like that, you know. I mean, I always thought he could hit, actually hit a sand wedge and have the ball never leave the face of his club. <laughs> he could hit it so soft, you know. Amazing, you know. When you, uh, on your travels, or even wherever you are playing golf, and you see a young person out there playing golf, what goes through your mind? Well, I hope that he's enjoying it. I hope that somebody's gave him some basics to go by, because that, that's important. And the grip, you know, I think if you teach somebody the grip from the start, uh, that'll be a big part of their game for their life, you know, rather than fighting a bad grip for all, for years and years. And Why, why don't I we did, do the grip right now? Can you do it verbally so that people listening could gain some insight? Well, I mean, you know, we have all these different grips that are real popular. I mean, Hogan's and and, and uh, Sneed's and Nicholas's and all of them that are in the book. But I'm just saying somebody needs to teach them either the interlock or the overlapping grip. I've always been an overlap but I have fooled around with interlock, and uh, uh, I never tried ten finger. Standard. Yeah. Can't do the standard. Yeah, can't do it. Um, Patrick, played, oh, go ahead. I sorry. played with a lot of guys who played cross handed. Cack handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's common in uh, in the UK a little more than here. Yeah. Yeah. This was. I lived. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, it was a great little nine hole golf course there in town, and eighteen ultimately in that and. Uh, there was a lot of gambling going on between, because it was a, Toledo was a suburb basically of Detroit, so there was a, a lot of gambling golf went on between uh, people. And I was just a young kid, and I ride my bike there, and I remember watching those guys play. And there were a lot of guys played with the left hand low, cross handed. I was it. amazed, and they were pretty good too. I wasn't able to hit the ball when I tried. Did you try? I, I, yeah, I think I. It took me three strikes to just top it. I tried chipping, watching VJ. I thought, eh, that must be a good way to do it, but I can't do it at no. all. Um, Patrick, I ask a lot of people to do this, and I'm going to ask you to do it in a minute, Tad. Um, can you like write a little letter to golf, just start it off, dear golf, and just sort of see what comes out? You want me to talk, like, what I would say? Yeah, dear oh, golf. Man, I don't what are you going to say? That's... Just go. This don't would even... be a really long letter. Go ahead. I'll cut you off at three minutes. Oh, man. <laughs> I need to think about this, because I have a lot to say. Like, I can't just, like, start letting my mouth take a dump. Just give me a second. Yeah, this podcast is unedited. Yeah? Yeah, unedited. All right. I say just start, Patrick. You're you're a genius, man. Come on. Man, I don't know. There's Patrick, while, while he thinks he's wearing uh, fine-ribbed corduroys, yeah. uh, you've got boa, gray, uh, golf shoes. Echoes. Echoes. you got probably um, some type of cashmere. Uh, I think he sleeps light in blue. those echoes. Sleeps in the I shoes. Might. Uh, the hat has a strange logo that I still have. This is my uncovered. this is the this is my Feral Company. This logo. is the Feral Company. This I see B B and F. Yes. Now I see it. Yeah. I'm glad we talked yeah. about it's that. It's the only logo that has an ampersand in it. I might I might add. <laughs> um, dear golf, man, dear golf. Well, the past 31 years have been a pretty awesome ride. Um, uh, just I'm gonna start crying seriously if I start talking about. I this. think that's okay. No, I don't want to. I mean, I lost my dad last year. I'm sorry. And he was the one that introduced me to golf. 
at, at 10 years old? How often did you guys play together? Just about every weekend. Well, I'll say I know that there's a lot of people listening who have the same story because I've read messages about it. So. No, it's really funny, man. It's been like a year since I've like sat, like broke down, thinking about just... Just about every weekend growing up, we'd go out and play. All over the place. We'd argue. <laughs> about what? <laughs> All kinds of stuff, man. He was a judge. So he, he had this really strong personality. <laughs> and, uh... <sighs> but, you know... That was, uh... That was how I... How I got into the game. My mom had married him when I was 10. And not that I'm not close to my biological father, but I mean, he really raised me. And I'll never forget it. We went out, we were in Hawaii, and they were married for, they weren't even married that long. And I maybe swung a golf club 20 times before. I love to play tennis. And they took me out with them one day. And I just got hooked, like hard, fast, like hooked. I hit that shot that I think most of us have probably hit that just, there's no coming back. You don't ever turn back from that shot. And it just kind of went from there. And uh, I, I dove in deep, hard. And uh, I spent a lot of time playing with him. He was never good. <laughs> he really wasn't, you know. When he when he when he passed away last year, he was a hundred and one. He had a wonderful life. And one of his friends who was a big golfer came up to me and he said, Why didn't you say anything about him and golf? And I said, Because he loved golf. Golf never loved him back. <laughs> He just didn't have the personality, you know. He was so, he liked to be so in control of everything in his life that the little white ball that he couldn't control would just occasionally drive him absolutely fucking mad. And, uh, but anyway, so that's how I, how I got into playing golf. And it kind of sucked, you know. When he was about 90, he, he couldn't play anymore. And he'd come out and he'd ride around with me and we'd, we'd talk. I'd be like, the time I get to talk with him. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to fucking turn into a mess, dude. I had really, you know, his birthday's coming up, but you know, the last few weeks I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm gonna go outside. Sorry. Well, as you feel those feelings, I just want to say thank you. You know, I got a message the other day, Tad. Now it's just me and you. Um, I got a message the other day from a guy in um, Australia, and he's a drone operator and, and, and films a lot of golf courses and makes them look beautiful, right, as drones do. And um, he sent me a message that made me cry that said, um, 
you know, are you coming to Australia? And I was like, I don't know when. I'd really love to. Um, you know, how often do you play? And he said, look, I gave up golf when my dad passed away. And uh, watching your videos made me play again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, that's not... Uh, you don't expect that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, just to think that this curiosity of mine actually has some type of unfolding out in the world is impossible to comprehend and to think that um you know it's just it's powerful to sit next to patrick i can see why you guys you know clearly have the same you know the game has the same effect right on all of us uh if we're open to it um do you you want to take a chance at doing the letter to golf or do you are you gonna need to exit and then i'm gonna do a solo Uh. No, I think uh, if mine would be, uh, dear golf, you have brought me many things since 1963 when I first made my first golf club. And it's brought me into this wonderful game and met a lot of people. And this particular time of year uh, around the Masters time for me is, is very difficult uh, because as a, as it's great, obviously, to be here and all that, and with you guys and everything. But it, for me, it brings back a lot of memories of great memories and sad memories. And uh, so, my great memory was, and you were asking me one time about thoughts and things and that. And I remember sitting on my sofa watching Ian Woosnam play the 18th hole at Augusta National in 1991 and making the putt to win with my putter and the glee and the joy and jumping and going crazy running around the house yelling you know um was pretty spectacular you know and uh and at the same time master's week i lost my first wife to cancer so master's week great joy and then sadness. And then I've been very fortunate. I found another woman in my life. And we married Masters Week. Wow. So this time in April right now is a, is a very phenomenal time for me in my life and also in golf. Because I've, uh, it was always a great time. You know, I was over there and, and I spent a lot of time with people over there. And... and uh, so I had good memories, sad memories. So it's just, but golf to me has it's brought me so much in my life. It's brought me great uh, joy. It's brought me great disappointment and failure. So people say you have to fail to succeed. Well, I failed big time in 1999 when we had to close down Tadmore Golf and give the Srixon ball franchise back to Srixon, and I moved on in my life. Slapped right beside my head really hard. I lost everything I had. Every dime gone. And I had to start all over again. So it's, the game keeps me going. Without it, I could have just given up, but I'm not gonna give up. I, I enjoy the game, I enjoy the people and everything about it. So, golf, I love you. You've been tough, but you've been great as well. So, that's my letter to golf. 
Really beautiful. Um, thank you. Mm. Uh, welcome back, Patrick. Thank you. Um, Sorry. I no, <laughs> I no man. I mean, I think you know we we. Why do we watch movies, right? We watch it to feel, and so you know, I think a lot of times we sort of tiptoe around the reality of how romantic falling in love with the game of golf really is. And I actually wanted to go there for a second, right? Because um, you were talking about your first time really really getting hooked on the game. And, and we, we use the word getting hooked. But I, I believe... There's no other way to describe it because, I don't know, golf is golf is a drug. <laughs> well, I would, I'm beginning to think maybe it's this it's 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 a bit more romance, right? It's it's a bit more and and I'm wondering if you guys can help me out with that, right? Like like, you know, you you kind of come into this game and it becomes the forefront of everything you do and then you kind of wrap your life around the game if you get hooked properly. Because I think you approach most people I think really approach the game at a surface level. You 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 know, it seems like a fun way to pass time. But the more you get into it and the deeper you go, the more and more layers you realize are there. And there's just there's so many stories that are that are tied into this game and people and experiences. And and the deeper you 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 peel back and the deeper you get, the more and more you get hooked. I mean, it's just kind of how it is. And uh, I mean, you know. The game is has almost endless depth, really, on many levels, both of the act of playing golf, the camaraderie, the friendship. There's definitely an air of spirituality to it. There's, you know, it's a it's a very heady cocktail, so to speak. When when you take all the ingredients and look at it. Well, I would I would find very few locations as fitting as Sweetens Cove to have a conversation about golf as raw as we just did. Um, I've had a great day getting to know you guys better, and I look forward to the next time we can do this. Likewise. Yep. Likewise. Same here. I hope I don't uh, start crying like a little girl <laughs> next time, as well. But I just I thought I just, it was beautiful. Well, no, I just it's raw, man, because it's just something that I hadn't really, you know, it's been a year. And I don't know if you've lost anybody that you're really close with, but it kind of comes in waves where yeah. you don't really think about it for a while, and all of a sudden, just something mm-hmm. knocks you over. Yeah. So, well, and have someone so deeply tied into a game that has taken over your life, and and to be responsible for that, whether your relationship was good, bad, or indifferent. Well, I had. A, I mean, it just that that was like our that was our bond. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I, I I know that a lot of people listening have shared this experience with you and will gain a lot from even just hearing you experience that again. So, thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Tad. Yep. Everybody, um, I guess have a good day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to play Lookout, so we are going to have a, we're gonna have a great day. <laughs> the got, day is not over. We've got more golf on the calendar. Everybody, thank you for listening, and uh, check out... Tad's work and Patrick Circle of all the links down below. Um, and um, thanks for supporting the podcast. <laughs>